This is Integrating Technology, episode 44. Integrating Technology for a living. Integrating Technology for fun. Integrating Technology to help people get shit done. Welcome to Integrating Technology, episode 44. My name is Patrick Murray. Today, I have a chat with Anton Karsten. I've been working with Anton for several years now. Anton is an extremely knowledgeable software developer who's worked for the likes of the United Nations and Zalando. And I found Anton on the internet. I needed some help many years ago with some programming and it was beyond my skill level. And he really made an impression on me because he wouldn't take the job. He wanted to show me how to do it, and he wouldn't take any money for showing me how to do it. So right off the bat, I knew I was dealing with an interesting person. And over the years, he has certainly become a friend and absolutely my mentor for everything having to do with web technologies. Now, today's talk is kind of technical. Uh, It starts off very technical, and then we get into how to make decisions about implementing web technologies in AV projects, and there are definitely some pearls of wisdom going right up to the end of the conversation, and I hope you enjoy this discussion with Anton Karsten, right after a word from today's sponsor. Okay, hush button. Do you know what the most used function is during a video conference? It is muting the microphone. And a typical conference room may have a touch panel at one end of the table, but that doesn't do the rest of the meeting participants any good. And that's where the idea of the hush button was born. Why not give everybody at the table a way to reach out and mute their microphone and be able to see very clearly at a glance which microphones are on and which are off. It's a simple lighted switch that gets built into the table. It's designed to accept a table microphone or also known as a boundary microphone. It could also be used with ceiling microphones and because it has a open API, it can actually be programmed to do just about anything. You could select a laptop with it, turn a system on and off, or click five times fast and call a taxi if that's what's required. So if you have an AV project coming up and you want to give each user at the table, the simplest control interface on the market. Please go to catchtechnologies.com and have a look at Hushbutton. Anton, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So we've been working together for a few years now. And just to kind of frame this discussion, I was thinking, I remember back in the beginning, one of the earliest things that you had to explain to me was that you can't open a TCP socket from a web browser. And that seems like a really basic, obvious security thing now, but that's really where I was coming from was, you know, we use a browser every day. Lots of people use a web browser. They're on all these devices, but there's a lot of technology that happens there that is not really that obvious unless you start digging deep into uh, the discussion. So I was wondering if we could just kind of start out with you know, given our experience together, you kind of understand what we do in AV integration. Could you give us just an overview of the basics of what it means to use a web page to control dev- real devices? Obviously, uh, there's a lot of like security built in, uh, into web browsers. Um, like 
there's there's a lot of history to uh, to what web browsers were used for, uh, and they are of course basically used for receiving HTML from a server and uh, and layouting a uh, layouting information on the screen. So there's a lot of uh, tools that we used to uh, see on a server or on a on an operating system that aren't available in the web browsing. So uh, the, the main uh, communication for the web browser is with the server uh, exchanging information, either HTML or in modern times, uh, JSON, for instance, but it's very limited to its connections. So we can make, uh, uh, we can make uh, HTTP requests, or now we can open web sockets. But uh, that's sort of where it ends for the web browser. Cool. So I like I like having conversations with you just because of these simple phrases. It gives me a new insight. Like you said, re, uh, the browser receives HTML from a server. I think that's a really great way just to visualize what's happening because it's it could get really confusing saying I need a server, I'm a client, what's happening where? And I like that picture of there's a server somewhere and the browser gets HTML and shows it on the screen. And then you brought up communication. So HTTP requests and WebSockets. Can you give us just a brief overview of what's going on there? What's the difference and maybe when to use what? Yeah, so um, the, the HTTP request, um, or, or originally like all HTTP was generated on the server. So we would uh, put a URL in the browser and that would uh, send a request, a GET request for this uh, page. And uh, the server would generate some HTML and send it to the client. And nowadays, uh, we, we use a lot of JavaScript in the browser. And it's uh, possible to do uh, uh, to request, uh, to send requests to the server uh, from this JavaScript. And that uh, we have different kinds of requests. And so we have post requests or put or delete requests. Um, but they're all one request from the client, from the browser, that is responded once to by the server. And, um, and WebSockets are different in that they keep an open connection between the browser and the server. It's bi-directional. So the browser can send information to the server, but the server can also send information to the browser. Um, so this is used a lot in, in real-time systems where maybe one browser is making a change that gets sent to the server, and the server then sends it to another browser that is uh, displaying this information. Maybe in like, um, if we have a, a drawing application where people are working together on a drawing. One person makes a drawing in the browser and the other person sees the drawing being updated in real time. It's like a typical use for WebSock. Cool. Uh, chat program, right, is usually another one. Yeah, and a chat program. Yeah. I, I think the idea here is, of course, that real time thing. The other thing that a WebSocket kind of offers us is that or another way to phrase it is that the server can send information to the client. 
um, without the client having to request that information. Yeah. So in AV, sometimes you'll have a device that'll just sit there and won't tell you anything unless you ask for it. And if you want to get the latest information, you have to pull this thing. You have to say, tell me what your power state is. And you'll have to do that every 10 seconds or so to stay up to date. And it's not really up to date because between those 10 seconds, something could have changed and you won't know until the poll is sent. And mm. with this WebSocket idea, the um, server can send unsolicited information and keep everything pretty close to real time. Yeah, that, that, that was actually uh, uh, a common fallback scenario uh, when WebSockets weren't widely supported. The user WebSocket and then a library could uh, automatically fall back to a polling uh, to, to a polling approach. So the the idea is the same. The WebSocket is more direct. Now, so you mentioned JavaScript, and that's where you would need to create that WebSocket connection. Um, can you get into the different parts of building an HTML web page? Yeah. So. Um... There's an immense amount of change uh, in uh, in recent years uh, in uh, website development. So um, in in the beginning, a, a website developer or front end developer um, uh, would have been really familiar with HTML and CSS. So HTML to structure the elements on the page, and and CSS to, to style these elements. And um, there was some use of JavaScript to give some uh, dynamics to the page. Uh, for instance, to uh, uh, move things on the page or to make a request to the server. But it was very uh, limited. But nowadays, more and more JavaScript is being used. And um, yeah, this, uh, this makes uh, uh, the development uh, somewhat more complex because um, the, the JavaScript, when it gets very long, it needs to be partitioned in, in, in different modules. And, and this module loading uh, also needs sort of tooling to, uh, to build the JavaScript, to make multiple JavaScripts into one file. So the, the, the newer development has sort of like created a lot of extra tooling that, uh, that we need to uh, build websites. And that is sort of like incremental. You can still use HTML, CSS with some basic JavaScript. Uh, but if you want to do more advanced uh, websites, you're going to need more and more tooling to, uh, to build and package these uh, JavaScript. Or CSS. I have a, a little anecdote about that. Um, it, it is really easy to get started, right? You could make a web page, put some HTML on there, change colors with CSS, and actually start doing stuff with JavaScript, like we talked about. Open up WebSockets. I've done that to uh, automation processors here in the beginning, and and turning lights on and off from a web page. Um, it was all pretty exciting. Um, and then I would get started with frameworks because, you know, plain HTML looks pretty plain. So the first thing you do is grab some kind of CSS uh, library, um, like Materialize or Bootstrap or something like that to make things start to look good. 
And one of my first surprises was how hard it was just to change the color of the basic color scheme that came with that framework. Do you have any thoughts on that progression of how easy it is to get started and you know what to watch out for as you go down this path and things become more complicated? Yeah, so like I, I think uh, just to take one step back there is that um, one of the issues nowadays is that uh, the, that there is like big billion dollar companies out there that are creating like uh, very, very beautiful, efficient, uh, dynamic websites that look good, that feel solid. Companies like Facebook or like, uh, uh, yeah, and the like. You know? So the, 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 the standard has become very, very high. And um, to, to, to reach so, something that is near this standard that gives your users the impression, ah, this is. This feels really like snappy. This feels this is beautiful. Um, you almost can't get around using frameworks. The, the problems with frameworks is is that uh, they have a certain approach, and um, they of course want to make it easy for people to get started. Um, so, um, but they but they do have a cost attached to them. So um, you, you, you usually get up and working relatively quick with a new framework uh, until the moment where you want to either customize it or do something that the framework didn't expect. So um, uh, if you take something like uh, Materialize, then uh, they'll add a few color palettes so you can choose I want to make it look like this, or I want to make it look like that. And choosing between those is relatively easy. But if you want your own color pa palette, which you will want in the end, because uh, you have like a corporate identity that you want to uh, adhere to, um, then you will need uh, something like a SAS compiler. SAS is, a, is, a, is an improved version of CSS. But the browser doesn't understand this SAS, so you need to compile it to CSS. So now you need tooling to, to do this. Um, and uh, I find that that is with a lot of uh, frameworks. So um, you always have to keep in mind what frameworks do I choose and what costs come with that for my build process, it can also mean sometimes that it just takes longer for you to regenerate your page and it makes your de development time longer. Uh, if you have to compile a lot of uh, SAS, um, it can take a while before your page updates and, and this can make your development slower. So there, there, there's a lot to, um, to think about when using framework. But on the other hand, you will not get around using some framework. Okay, so um, can we get into uh, a few in particular? You know, we hear terms like React and Angular and those kind of frameworks. How would you kind of, you know, start to investigate those things or make a decision? Is one better for a particular type of web page? 
what, what are your ideas there? Uh, yeah, so th- th- there's um, th- there's basically three frameworks. Uh, they are React, Angular, and Vue. Uh, that are all frameworks uh, to make single page application. Now, a single page application um, basically means if we compare that to, for instance, a traditional uh, website like like WordPress, which is PHP application run on the server, and every time I click on something on the WordPress site, a complete new page is being loaded from the server. Now, now a single page application loads once a, a standard HTML page plus a lot of JavaScript. And as of that point, it will not request any pages from the server, but it will just request uh, some data in the form of usually JSON. So, um, so Vue, Angular, and React, they're basically the same kind of framework. They're all there to make this single page application. Um, and then choosing between those, uh, I think we first have to see that they're all good framework. Like, um, and th- th- there is very much a danger uh, in front-end development now to get overwhelmed uh, by, by all the available uh, frameworks and tools, which, uh, which gives us the feeling like, ah, we don't know what to choose. And, uh, it can actually bring some kind of like uh, stress or anxiety, just not knowing what to choose. But actually, all three of them would be good choices. Ten years ago, all three of them would have been seen as amazing progress. So um, you can't really go that wrong. But um, um, a framework like Vue is much easier to learn. You can, you can get started very quickly. A framework like Angular is much more difficult to learn, but it contains everything you're probably gonna need uh, to build an application. So it's very, uh, um, it's very thought through. It has all the things uh, you're gonna be needing to do HTTP requests, um, yeah. To do um, animation, yeah. There's a there's a lot of uh, to do forms, for instance, which is a big part of, uh, of a lot of websites and applications. So um, you have to see. It it might be good to start with something like Vue, just to get the idea of single page applications. But if you're going to build like a complex uh, front-end application, something like Angular would be better. Um, React, I think, is at the moment the most popular one. It is uh, relatively uh, easy to get started with it, but uh, it misses a lot of the the tools that are integrated with Angular uh, that you are going to need to pick. And in the end, React will become as complicated as Angular. Um, 
because by the time that you've chosen all the uh, the tooling that you will need in a complex application, it will look very similar to uh, to Angular. So um, yeah, I think all three are good. But if you're new to it and you're not that familiar with this kind of programming, Vue is a good way to get an idea of how it works. And I, I think once you know how it works, it's not so difficult to step from one framework to another. Thanks for that overview. That was really helpful. Um, I especially like the part about how you explained the difference between single page apps and comparing it to how a WordPress, WordPress web page works. Um, for me, that was kind of enlightening. Uh, I understood it technically, but that really helped solidify what the difference is. Uh, now, you're talking about doing JavaScript. I think, can we get into the difference between front end and back end? Because everything we've talked about until now happens in the web browser. And you can make, and you talk about an application, but in our case, that application really is just the user interface. Um, for AV systems or home automation systems, they'll need to be another processor that actually connects to the real world devices. But can we use some of the skills we learn in building web page? The job can we use the same JavaScript to control those devices in the back end? Um, yeah. So um, uh, it's becoming more and more common to use JavaScript uh, uh, in the back end uh, with a with a framework called uh, Node.js. It's a the server framework and. Um, the, the the language is uh, the JavaScript will be obviously the same. Um, the environment will be somewhat different. So there's there's certain um, globals that are available in the browser that you don't have on the server, and vice versa. But uh, it's becoming more and more common to have a complete front end back end in JavaScript. Or, or, or a form of JavaScript, like, like typed, TypeScript. What's the difference there? Uh, so TypeScript is a, um, is a somewhat more advanced language that, uh, that has typing. So you can give variables a particular type. Um, but this language then compiles to JavaScript so that it can be run uh, in the browser or on the server. Uh, this gives some advantage when you're developing, like like code completion, and you can already check your code basically before you even run it. But in in the end, it all gets compiled to JavaScript. Okay, so in AV, a typical project workflow scenario would be everything gets installed. There's some drawings showing how everything is connected together, and then the programmer will be hired to create the user interface and connect that to what we're calling backend programming, the automation logic. What are your thoughts on one person doing everything uh, with an HTML user interface and JavaScript to do that automation logic in the backend? What, would a, what do you think about a single person doing that? 
And how do you think it should look ideally as far as, you know, who does what? Um, yeah. So the, the, the field has become very, uh, very wide. And um, so um, although a single person can be knowledgeable in different areas, uh, it is uncommon to, to see that one person approaches all these uh, topics. Um, usually, the projects that I'm used to, there are several people to only do the front-end part, only the browser application, and then there will be people that do the, the back-end part, and there will be somebody that does uh, DevOps, so provisioning of servers, keeping the service running, networking, this, this kind of stuff. So, um, I've, for, for example, I've, I've worked at Zalando, and uh, Zalando has 700 software developers uh, in, uh, to make their system run. Now, this is an extreme case, of course. This is not all for front-end development, but um, companies do have a lot of developers and to for one person to be experienced in all these areas that are getting increased increasingly complex it is very difficult yeah i've i've run into that myself i've i've tried a personal experience don't try this at home um to really take that paradigm of i'm the programmer i can do everything and i think it's a little elusive maybe or you know javascript kind of gets you to the point where you think you could do a lot because it is everywhere and it can handle everything. But for me personally, my, my weak part is CSS. Once I have to do any kind of layout that I'm not already familiar with, it really becomes um, frustrating and difficult. So I've come away with this whole experience of you do need to be an expert in one particular thing, and then a project should have a bunch of experts involved. You should have a, a layout expert that'll take care of how the website looks. And then you could have an expert that handles the JavaScript and that, that uses an API to communicate with that backend. I really think it's important to note that, you know, unless you have some kind of framework, some kind of configurable user interface, you really have to be ready to, to get your hands dirty. And none of these things should be underestimated. I, I, I think a, a, a big difference um, uh, with, uh, with uh, the way uh, user interfaces were made in the past um, is uh, uh, the, uh, also the immense diversity of devices that we have now. So if we I, I, imagine you're going to make a simple, like, slider sort of a slideshow uh or uh, a, a website so th th this seems like a very very simple thing we see it in many websites uh it, it seems not uh, such a complicated uh, widget to make it first of all means that you need to know a lot about html and and css to make transforms to slide the slides out of the page um, but but because we have such an immense variety of devices, I mean, there's people looking at things on like a smartwatch, or there's people looking at things on a 20, 28 
inch screen. So we, we, we need to make this thing responsive. Now to make it responsive also requires uh, a lot of logic. You need to know about media queries. You need to know um, how to transform information for smaller devices. And then some devices use a mouse and some devices use touchscreens like, like mobile phones. So now you need to be able to handle like swipe events instead of click events. So this becomes now a thing for your slider. And then some devices are on, on very low network connections and some are on very fast uh, Wi-Fi connections. So you need to think like, okay, if I have images in that slider, I, I, need, to, uh, I need to know what happens. Maybe my image hasn't been loaded yet. Uh, so you can already quite see that only the front-end part uh, very quickly becomes complicated. Um, to, to have knowledge of all, all these topics, what's happening in the browser, uh, yeah, this, this diverse amount of devices, diverse amount of browsers, of versions, um, th that is one of the things that makes front-end complex, is that often in the back-end, you have some control over the, uh. over the system that is running the back-end. So you know you're running PHP, or you know you're running Node.js, and you know the version, and you know you're on a Linux platform. But with a web browser, often you don't know what, what the capabilities uh, are. Um, there's ways to ask the browser for different capabilities. Um, but yeah, there's just an immense variety out there. It, this gives like a, quite a bit of complexity. That's a really good point. I really appreciate that. So to wrap things up here, do you have any final thoughts or advice for anyone with a background like mine who wants to learn how to make these kind of user interfaces? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. First of all, uh, don't get discouraged of, of, uh, of the immense amount of stuff that is out there. In front-end development, has really um, changed a lot. Uh, and. Uh, and sometimes it can feel somewhat overwhelming. I think uh, the best advice is to, um, to build things uh, and to just look at what do I need uh, to, uh, to implement this particular project that I'm working on and not to try and keep up to date with everything. I mean, if you want to, that's nice, mm -hmm. of course, but you should not have the feeling that you need to know everything. Uh, start with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Th those, those every project will need. Then if you feel comfortable with CSS, you can maybe try and learn SAS. This is a, like common use in, in, in most projects. Uh, then if you feel comfortable with JavaScript, try and learn Webpack to package your JavaScript. Um, yeah, so, so try and sort of like build on top of, 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 uh, of some of the basic technologies and, uh, and use things as you need them. Don't try and like, uh, don't try and get on top of all the technologies because you won't be able, uh, there's too much out there. And actually, um, 
if you're doing it out of interest, then of course it's good to look at what's new. But if you're doing it to be uh, productive and in a production environment, sometimes it's good to stay away from the uh, extremely new because uh, often it's immature, it changes a lot, uh, and uh, documentation is often sparse. It can create more problems uh, than that it's worth. It is usually worth it in product production to look at something that has been around at least a couple of years. So, you, so you're sure that it's stable. Uh, you can find answers online for common problems. Yeah. And a lot of the things we talked about today, Angular, Node.js, that, that belongs to that group of tried and true. Yeah, exactly. This, is, uh, this has been around uh, for a long time now. So that, that is definitely uh, uh, worth using. I love the sentiment. Don't get distracted by what the latest and greatest is. Really have a focus to find your goals and, and uh, work towards that. Yeah, so um, th- th- there's these massive companies that have like millions or billions of dollars to invest uh, in, in uh, building applications. And they set the standard of what everyday users see. So now users are used to this standard, so they expect to see this kind of uh, level of uh, of uh, of development and this kind of like level of uh, uh, usability. That makes it very complicated for small teams, or that makes it very hard for small teams to uh, to achieve this. But but it is possible. Yeah, it is possible because these big companies yeah. tend to. But, that's where all these frameworks come from, right? Yeah, uh, uh, of course. But it, it means you have to be very wise about... I mean, you, you can build very good-looking applications by doing very little on the screen. Like, uh, you, you just have to be very wise about what you invest your time in. Then you, you can achieve that. It's just that uh, you have to really like strip down and see what is... What is important for my application and then focus on that. Excellent. Anton, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Integrating Technology. If you have a moment, please consider going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. It really does help other AV professionals find us in the podcast world. Thanks. HTML5. The web browser is finally getting some attention in the AV systems integration market. And I say finally because I believe that the web browser is the most underutilized, undervalued, underappreciated technology of the past few decades. When you think of a browser, you think of going to websites. But actually, the web browser is a platform to run all different kinds of programs, including AV control and you don't need an internet connection. I'm in the middle of putting together some material to explain exactly how an AV user interface with HTML5 would work and to clear up some misconceptions about how to do it. And it's not easy. Learning a new programming language always has a learning curve, but using HTML5 in AV projects, there's a reason why we haven't been doing it all along. It's hard to do. But if you're up for a challenge or if you're just curious about how it works so you could speak more intelligently about it, 
go to learnavprogramming.com slash HTML5 and get yourself informed.